OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now, you know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if you don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. All right, delighted to be joined by Brian O'Driscoll this evening. How are you keeping, Brian? Very well, Nathan. How are you? I'm not too bad. You ever been to tackle school? (laughs) (laughs) You're the the principal of tackle school. It's, um, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's something completely different than they potentially are getting every day of the week. So maybe they need to bring those tackle school experts into tackling environment on a pre-season and, and weekly basis and maybe then we'll reduce tackle heights who knows uh, how much time would you have spent on tackle height and tackle technique how many experts would have come in and spent time with you over the course of a season or was it more just part of the daily and weekly rhythm of training see the reality is it was vastly the the the, the time was very different when i was playing um we you know the there was an encouragement around um, the choke tackle around holding players up, those head and head collisions were just seen as rugby incidents. High shots were 10 a penny, you know, catch someone on the chin at the same time as hitting them high. It was play on. The world is very, very different than uh, than, than my time eight years ago and, and before that. So we, we would have worked a bit on tackle technique, but now they're working on something completely different on reducing it, on not being in a position where they're trying to go for high shots. They're trying to reduce, you know, the, the target point, you know, of being, you know, in the right and in the center of the chest, those higher shots, wrapping ball and all, are becoming less and less frequent because you miss one and you suffer the consequences. So I'm I'm intrigued to understand within teams now how much they are working on their tackle technique because it, it certainly feels as though the game is only going in one direction, that we're going to become a chop tackle focused uh, game uh, the big shots are going to be reduced from the game those collision winning shots where and, and not that word in itself a shot a shot isn't a tackle it's mm. like putting a marker on someone and and so it feels like we're going to have to move away from that mindset of really trying to dominate someone with uh, you know, two two guys running at each other a million miles an hour. How do you protect your body in the best possible position, but make a legal tackle? I, I, I it's just it's going to change dramatically. And um, but yet it's it's more challenging for older players. I, I do think um, because it is it is more difficult to change habits of a lifetime. But that doesn't excuse some of the things that you know we've seen at the same at the same time. Is it more difficult for for out halves for star players who are often the targets so often that they need to show that they can stand up that they have the physicality that when they get an opportunity to get a shot back the temptation is is too much for them depends on what your defensive mindset is you know i said a few weeks ago there's there's some tens that tackle because they want to tackle and there's some that tackle because they have to tackle um and it's very very evident who those are there are there's probably not that many in the first category that really look forward to it um but immediately you know two that currently spring to mind are you know the england fly half and the irish fly half um in in farland um, and sexton they they both enjoy that side of their game they both tackle quite high they always have done um 
you know, Farrell from a league background, obviously a lot of his technique stuff would have been around holding the ball up, um, get away with a little bit more even now in the league game than you do in Union. Um, and and Johnny has always been a high tackler. He's always been a choke tackler. He's had huge success. He's got incredible upper body strength. So he's never, ever, I don't think I've ever seen him chop tackle someone. And when you're in that position, it's very difficult when someone's coming charging at you directly. He, you know, they, they tend not his tackles tend not to be side-on tackles. They're confrontational, they're front-on. And so I suppose there's a risk involved in putting yourself in a low body position, catching a, a knee or whatever. But but now, you know, we saw with Johnny in the Connacht game, he runs the risk if he is going to tackle high of those head-on-head collisions, which can um, warrant yellow and, and red cards, depending on how forceful they are. It's incredible that Sexton at 37, that Farrell at 31 have gone this far into their career without coaches sitting them down and saying not only the risk of doing damage to the opposition player but as we saw with Johnny Sexton the damage he ended up doing to himself from that high tackle and the potential risk to their team of what should have been uh, for Farrell and potentially for Sexton a yellow or red card in a big game What about the rewards though Nathan over the years of what they've managed to do for their teams you know the amount of times that Johnny has been involved in choke tackles that have held the opposition up and and turned over the ball likewise Farrell how many unbelievable tackles he's thrown in over the course of his career and you know where you don't expect it from your 10 but he is one of the most forceful defenders in your team what does that say the mentality I think that you've got to You've got to buy into the mentality of your tens being that type of personality and the leaders of teams. Um, has the balance shifted go- though? Has the risk reward balance? And that's that- why we're having this conversation. That's why it has shifted. But it's only shifted re- really in the last two, three years around those head-on-head collisions. Before, before even two years ago, a head-on-head collision was oh rugby incidents. They're no longer rugby incidents. Now they're seen as a duty of care from the defender to make sure that, you know, a ball carrier carrying the ball in an upright position is entitled to. Now the expectation is for you as a defensive player to get down low, hinge at the hips, hinge at the knees and put in a, a tackle that is below shoulder height that's not going to rise up and catch, uh, run the risk of hitting anyone in the neck or, or, or head area. And if you do, if you're going to play on that borderline and you miss time one, you're going to get yellow cards. You're going to get red cards. And particularly the way those two guys defend there's very few passive tackles, to be honest with you, from, from both of them. I will say that having watched, I was away um, for a few days um, and, I, and I missed the Connacht uh, game, but I watched the, the Johnny tackle back again. For me, that is the perfect yellow card because it's passive, it's high. He, you know, it's a head-on-head collision. For, fortunately, the defender doesn't, or the tackle doesn't get injured. But for me, that, you know, the difference between his and Farrell's is Farrell is confrontational. He's going forward. Um, it's um, it's not a passive tackle. It's a it's um, kind of a, a, a forceful, dominant tackle, and so that's the difference between card colours when you have head collisions. Uh, what you talk about a rugby incident, I think, was the line used around Manu Tuilagi's collision with Tommaso Allen last weekend as well. That didn't quite get the same amount of attention as Owen Farrell. How is that a a rugby incident? How is that very different? I don't know. I'm confused on some of them. Like that, for me, that can go two ways because, um, because I, I, you know, I don't know. Again, is the arm fully up in a in a wrap position to to the same degree as as other tackles? Um, 
I, I you know, I'm, I'm having so many conversations with different people at times and trying to speak to current players, coaches, to understand referees, to, because there is huge inconsistency around, you know, the decision making. And sometimes we're, I'm in commentary and, you know, tackle comes in and, and I'm really not sure what, what the outcome is going to be. And you're there to give an opinion, but when you're not sure yourself um, whether something's borderline, yellow card, red card, it's it's a really challenging thing to do. The last thing you want to do is be seen as that guy that's trying to get people, you know, red carded or seen to uh, you know, be punishing people unnecessarily. But then we are trying to protect the game at the same time. So I think... If I look at the Farrell incident, it's probably a, a, a better one. I, I think there's a few things in that. Obviously, there's you know he sees the player coming. Okay, he is only a meter away, but he has time to be able to see that body position. It doesn't come at speed at him. Uh, he does hinge a little bit, but he is going for a really big shot on him. And what I think is really interesting, and I know this isn't great for radio, but but from a if if you know from a a social media point of view. The big thing is about what happens with the rotation of his shoulder. And and Farrell, for me, the afterthought with a lot of his challenges is the rap comes as a secondary thought because when you rotate your shoulder forward, you're, you're in a less vulnerable position. You're in a stronger position to make a dominant collision. Whereas if you're in a position where you accept a rap is going to be part of that collision, it's not it's not as as well a tucked position it's not as strong a position and i suppose i liken it to to a tackle of mine back in 2009 in the lions tour against danny rousseau when i went charging in and i wasn't thinking about a wrap i was thinking about literally running in and trying to make contact with my shoulder now in the game these days that's probably a red card incident um, but then it was it was legal and i see if you look at farrell now an awful lot of his borderline tackles he rotates the arm and and i think that does come back from his upbringing from being if you look at rugby league collisions a lot of them are shoulder first and arm afterwards whereas the borderline is what's what's the legal request on on a on a wrap it's meant to be immediately after the shoulder collision and i think sometimes in his circumstance that the the, the wrap is is a secondary thought to the collision win and whether it's it's for me that's really on the cusp of legality i didn't think and there's not much said about that at the weekend mm. i think that the i think that the rap comes a little bit too late for me and and when i'm talking about losing these big these big hits and these big dominant forces it's the shots that need to go you can still put in big collisions with your arm in a in a in a locked position ready to brace but the bigger shots tend to come from something where the arm is tucked a little bit and the shoulder protrudes. So if you're to watch Owen Farrell consistently week in, week out, is he getting away with a lot of similar shots? Because he, he, I guess that line, he presents a good picture to the referee where he gets the shot in and he does get the wraparound just in time that it does look like it's all the yeah, one motion. I, I, I think technically he probably gets the benefit of the doubt that the wrap is ensuing, but it's I, I don't think it's lined up for... Um, it to be part of the initial collision. And listen, I, I have to caveat all of this by saying, like, I'm a huge Owen Farrell fan, and I have been, and I think there's something, I love the gladiatorial nature of him as as a player. He's, you know, he's he's everything you want in, in a rugby player to, to, be, to play with. I was lucky to be on the Lions Tour in 2013 with him. 
he's you know super humble you know he's he's every he's you know follow me sort of attitude um and it sets stands sets the standard so if he was your teammate it's everything you want and he plays right on the cusp but there's times over the course of his career that he has gotten the benefit of the doubt, maybe because he's owned Farrell or because it's marginal decision and you want to favour, you know, keeping the, the relevant numbers on the field. But I, I suppose if you look back to one of his other infamous tackles was against Esther Hazen against South Africa, probably going back five, six years ago now at this stage. Um, and it was it was a massive moment in an England Springbok game. And I remember thinking... And, and, I, and I tweeted about it going, whoa, I, there's nothing wrong with that collision. And, and in hindsight, there was. There was absolutely no rap involved. But I guess I was drawn to the gladiatorial nature of who this guy is and and, and the the impressiveness of, of being willing to put his body on the line against an enormous man. But you got to separate that from the legalities and illegalities of what the tackle looks like at the moment. And I do think he plays on the cusp and crosses the line a few times too many. Um, and I think there are, maybe this tackle um, clinic that he's going to go on will actually benefit him for, for, for once because, you know, you don't want to modify and take that out of his game, but you want to make sure that the shots are do feel uh, on, a, on a legal framework. Um, going forward, because he, you know, he's it's such an important part of his game. And now that there's another um, band that he's serving, the referees will be looking out for it all the more. The job of the disciplinary hearing then is to, I guess, make that separation as well and protect the player who is receiving the shot, and uh, also to make sure that Owen Farrell goes through whatever procedure. So he has a second thought next time it happens. When you look at the procedure, because this is the other debate is. Uh, the potential loophole is coming up an initial six week ban that is reduced to four weeks that if he goes to tackle school is down to three weeks which would still rule him out of the Six Nations opener but there is a loophole which we'll have to wait and see if they take advantage of so he will miss the two Champions Cup games coming up though Saracens are in a fine position to qualify anyways and then a league game against Bristol that ordinarily he would never play in but if he's not named in the England squad they could say that well that is going to be his third game Uh, What do you think what do you think Bortwick (laughs) is going to do Nathan? Oh well, I, I, I suspect we all know what he's likely to do. But considering, of course, the, he's likely to do that. But why, why wouldn't you? This is professional sport for he the integrity of the disciplinary of process available to him. But for the integrity of the disciplinary process, and even even with Steve Bortrick coming in and trying to implement maybe a complete culture shift around that England national team, do you just accept the ban? And do you say to Owen Farrell, actually, you know, what, if you do this in the World Cup, you might cost us a World Cup. You need to actually suffer for what you did here. You were reckless. Take the ban. Actually, you know, we're, we're restoring the values of English rugby again. <laughs> if he is, fair play to him. But I, I don't see that happening. Why would you forego um, one of your most important players, your leader, possibly your captain, um, someone that has done it time and time again? Um, why would you not take advantage of a circumstance where you could release him for a couple of days Um and 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 then have him back. He'd missed two days of training. You haven't technically done anything wrong and bring him in for the first your first game in charge um, of an England team. Massive pressure on England because of what of the November they've had. You're going to want to be fully loaded with with who you're going to play there. Marcus Smith has barely played in the last month. He's meant to be coming back into things now. Um, won't be a sharp. Farrell's been playing some really good rugby in the Premiership. Um, I, I for me. 
I, I think you, you know got to put the do the right thing you know aside and and I think Borthwick will absolutely release him and and then that will count as his third game and he'll play against Scotland this whole process really doesn't do rugby any favours though when we see and it's it's every suspension is the initial six week reduced down mitigating factor good behaviour good behaviour at the hearing like has any player not behaved well at the hearing <laughs> exemplary was it exemplary but I, 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 I think before he did apologise before and during it have you ever walked into a hearing and said this is a load of nonsense I'm not taking this whatever you come up with <laughs> I loved that line I have to say Mark McCall who's um, a completely uninterested observer uh, gave him a glowing glowing report <laughs> but we've all been there I've done that in the past I've given reports for teammates in the past and my god have I waxed lyrical about how great how is that even allowed like what is why are they asking Brian O'Driscoll for his opinion on his teammate at a disciplinary hearing (laughs) because you know someone's got to back them up right who who, who are you going to get but why does anyone have to back them up you look at the video you take that incident as it is and you decide what a ban is but this is the process okay fine that that's yeah I, I get that I get that like what's it's it's just always been the case it's remind people of of the good standing of this individual and not just take in isolation this one moment of madness or incident that is out of character or that has you know has is not a consistent line of of um in situ with, within this person personality uh, i want to know about the guy you refuse to write the letter for nah let him, let him suffer let him take the ban <laughs> No comment. I'm sure. no comment. No, I've, no. There's not. There's been none. No, 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 no. There's none. None for me. Any teammates, you'll you'll be willing to. But also, coach, no to pick and choose. If you don't have a great relationship with someone in your team, you're not going to obviously, you know, um, be asked to to stand and uh, speak on their behalf. So, um, but that's never a reason. Just in terms of Owen Farrell, then, and his importance under this new management regime, you're watching the Premiership week in, week out. Uh, under Steve Borthwick, uh, what do you see his role in this England team being with Marcus Smith not playing a huge amount of rugby over the past month? I think it'll be front and centre. I think it'll be back to 10. Um, interestingly, though, they brought Nick Evans in as attack coach for the Six Nations. Obviously, Nick Evans works with Harlequins and, and has worked with Marcus Smith for the last couple of seasons. They play, you know, a very exciting, um, quite un-Steve Borthwick style of um, of rugby in in the Gallagher Premiership. They have had massive success. They're this team that is capable of scoring three or four tries in a 15 or 20 minute period where they trail by 20 or 25 points and have come come back from the death. So, you know, they're, they're, he's bringing in an attack coach that he likes the look of what they've done and the all-important character within that game plan has been Marcus Smith. So it almost conflicts, you know, the styles really conflict to one another. Um, you've got Kevin Sinfield then that comes in on, on the defensive side of things as well. Um, so I, I, I'm intrigued to see what we see. I, I think you'll see England will play very little rugby in their own half. Um, there'll be a kicking team out of their own half. Um, Steve Borthwick is a real student of statistics and to the nth degree, and he uses a company over in the UK now that are that are rivaling um, Opta called Oval Insights, and they. Um, they could give you a statistic on absolutely anything, and right. Steve has never turned down the opportunity to, you know, to to pull apart what they can offer him. And so, 
you know, if, I'm not saying that he builds his game plan on statistics, but there's, it has a big bearing. It certainly appears to have a big bearing on on how much they kick the ball and why they kick the ball out of their own territory. Because stats will show if you don't turn the ball over, you know, within your own half, or you keep it under two turnovers over the over the you know within your own half, there's every likelihood that you won't concede X amount of points. I'm I'm just giving a, a kind of baseline mm. example. There's there's so much detail pulled apart there's detail around individuals what they add to your squad they put you know a number of different things into algorithms to be able to decipher who's going to be good for your squad who's gone for international duty and so on and i know this group of this group have, have really kind of come to the fore in the last two or three seasons and um and, and borthwick was someone that really took them on board so I'd, i would absolutely imagine that he will use that on an international capacity too yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does use that in a very short, condensed period of time because he needs this group to hit the ground running. What are they going to have? Eight games maybe between now and the start of the World Cup? He'll probably have less time on the training pitch than any of the other coaches with his players between now and the World Cup? The only thing, the only good thing for from his perspective is he gets a pre-season with them. Um, you know, he'll, he'll get a training camp the week before and he'll get um, the boys, you know, he'll, he'll want... You know the season to be over with really quickly. They'll have two or three weeks holidays, probably a shortened um, holiday on, on what their norm would be of of kind of four weeks, um, and then straight back into it. And, and that is the fortuitous thing that he will have, you know, six or seven weeks, including those games of a preseason, to be able to incorporate exactly what he wants to do. Um, and it, it's you know it is. He's in in a good position, right? Because he's inherited a team so late, so the expectations are quite low on England at the moment. Things might change if they go well in in the Six Nations. If you know, if they manage to to you know finish in the top couple of teams and they presented themselves well and they you know showcase some decent performances in the in the run up to the World Cup. Of course, things will hot up over in the in the UK. But right now, I think you know there isn't. Too much thought, certainly no thought about winning the tournament. And I think a lot of people that that I'd be, you know, rubbing shoulders with, kind of don't expect anything beyond anything beyond a quarter final would be would would be um, you know would be a real bonus. Where, where they currently are but that can all change in, in a very short space of time mm-hmm. uh, There's been a lot of rugby in the URC since you were last on with us before Christmas I want to focus on a couple of the provinces in particular because well listen Leinster have just been uh, rolling on through uh, the Christmas as usual Ulster uh, beaten at the weekend by Benetton in Italy uh, 31-29 five defeats in their last six games there have been a lot of false dawns in Ulster rugby over the last few years and it felt at the start of the season that this young squad was coming together. They had a nice little mix. There was a lot of exciting talent there. And it's fallen apart in a really unexpected way and a sort of soul-destroying way, it feels, with the comments that are coming out of the province, that it's taken them... Uh, they've been blindsided somewhat by this complete collapse in results and form. What's your take on what you've seen with them over the past month or so? Well, I think first of all, it obviously started with um, with the the game in Europe against Sale Sharks, mm. who absolutely obliterated them, and I think that really took the you know the wind out of their sails in a major way. And when you 
go and 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 lose away from home, you know, and you know, in that magnitude, they they got nilled as well in that game. When you don't score, get off the score sheet. It's it's almost you know, it's nearly humiliating when you don't even manage to get three points. And so sometimes that can have a, a, a kind of resounding residual effect on you. And then. There was all the hoo-ha the following week about playing La Rochelle and was it going to be in the Kingspan, ended up in the Aviva and they got blown away in the first half and then managed to come back and get a couple of points out of it in the second half and and, and saved a lot of face uh, in what could have been an absolute disaster. But I think there's been some injuries. I think there's also a real lack of form in some key positions as well, if we're honest. You know, if you think back to the you know the last few years where team where where they've gone very well, I think in particular their halfbacks have been had been operating very well. And um, and John Cooney was you know, there's, there's no talk anymore about John Cooney breaking into the Irish setup. Uh, that's all gone. And and maybe that's because some people realise it's not going to happen. But also, I think he's he's you know definitely um, come back a, a few rungs on some of his performances over the last few years. Where you know, I remember thinking back to the Lions tour, people were talking that season about him being mm. the Lions scrum half. Well, now he's regularly getting subbed off uh, for Nathan Doak. Um, we haven't had the same magical moments from him. Yes, he's still kicking goals, but just hasn't had. The same impact on uh, in the game that that I've seen him involved in, um, and I think you could say that about a number of different players over the course of of the of the squad. Kieran Treadwell, you know, doesn't always start for them, but yet he's on the bench for Ireland when he does so- start. You know, not really eighty minute performances. Henderson has been consistently pretty good. Timoney good, and in the backs probably McCluskey and Balakoon. But outside of that, I wouldn't have said there's too many guys really having top class seasons. And to be a force to be reckoned with, you need 11, 10, 11 guys playing very well regularly. And you can carry um, you know, some passengers that, you know, for a period of time. But for the most part, as a, as a quality team to be consistently good, you need people really playing at the top of their game. Even James Hume has gone off the boil a little bit this season when he was playing brilliantly last year. No mention of him you know, maybe forging his way into the into, uh, international reckoning now, this Six Nations. That's gone for now. That's That's been poo-pooed. So I, I, I do think there's a, a big amount of responsibility on some of the individuals. I think Dan McFarland, it felt as though the coaching looked very good. He a very clear idea about what those what is he wants his team to do. But I think there just has been a, a, a real lack of standout performers to to kind of allow that game plan to really achieve what it's capable of doing. Concerning as well when McFarland has admitted that he was struggling to find a solution because, uh, you know, they'd made changes. They tried at different times for stability in selection. None of that was working. uh, That, you know, they'd go in front in games. They wouldn't be able to hold on to it. They'd go behind in games and they'd leave themselves too much to do. Uh, Everything that could go wrong in every different position seems to be, like mentioned, they need to toughen up at times. That that maybe uh, there's a mental fragility there as well. And this at the worst possible time of the season, because while we might get into the Heineken Cup and the complexities of the Heineken Cup, and like it's it, it should be straightforward to make your way through to the last sixteen from a twenty-four team tournament. Uh, but Ulster yeah. are, you know, unless they can somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat this weekend against La Rochelle, are in real trouble. I, I also think I think they're you know if they're 
I don't know whether he thought there was a mental fragility before the sale game, but it definitely has been impacted mentally. They look as though they've been impacted as a result of the run of, of fixtures and, and results that have, have subsequently transpired. Um, how they lost the, the, the game to Munster, I, I don't know. Like that one was a sucker punch as well. Um, they were home and hose on, was it 68 minutes? And they, they should have been able to coast through. And I think what would, Concern you would be the fragility around letting Munster into that. Munster that are playing okay, you know, some somewhat improved, was still a long way to go. It wasn't as though they were playing, you know, it wasn't they were playing Leinster or one of the the South African teams in their pump. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's tough times for him at the moment, and I think this is where you earn your crust, you know, from McFarland's point of view. I think he's. It had been such an impressive progression over the course of the last three or four years. Um, each year, it looked as though they were capable of one further step the next season. Thought this year they were going to be semi-finalists, finalists probably, possibly um, in the URC. And now all of a sudden, they've they've have they fallen out of the top eight. And mm. um, they're you know, potentially not going to qualify for the round of sixteen in Europe if they don't. Um, get something out of the. the you know, it's very hard to see them getting something out of the La out of La Rochelle this weekend. Then they have to host Sale in, um, in the Kingspan. That would be you know four losses from four, and that's not going to qualify you for. So you know some some pretty difficult moments ahead, and you're going to really lean on some of your big leaders, Henderson, Vermeulen. I think those guys really really need to step up over the course of the next few weeks to, to try and say what what you know. Um, well, possessed huge hope at the start of the season or even six weeks ago, two months ago. And now all of a sudden it's fallen by the wayside very, very quickly. You mentioned Munster there getting better uh, by how much maybe we'll discover over the next few weeks. Five wins in their last seven. Uh, they were holding an open training session for the journalists down in Limerick earlier in the week and all the talk was about the high intensity of every single part of their training and uh, trying to force mistakes and then trying to correct them in a real match-like environment. Are you seeing signs, enough signs, that Munster are making enough progress quickly enough that they can achieve something this season? Are we getting carried away there and actually this is still a two three year process no I, I don't see them achieving something this season to be honest with you they're not um you know in the urc can they get to uh to a semi-final possibly yeah they can but i i definitely don't feel as though um you know the new systems that are being put in place are going to allow them to get a comfort along with the individuals that are that are still being selected and i still think we're going back to same covering old ground because it, it's still uh, a talent issue mm. as well as as a new coaching ticket so um, even if the coaching ticket gets their strategy get their tactics perfected that there's still going to be an issue on the quality of the player that they're working yeah, with. Yeah, I, I don't think they're as good as 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 previous years and as other teams currently. Now they they have scope to to grow and improve, but um and and they've got you know guys like like Crowley coming through and playing very well and really showing what he's capable of doing. And I think that could be a catalyst for others to really find good form too. But I think if you're if you're honest, um this isn't a team that you'd you would be afraid of. The the loss that they had to to Leinster um, must have been pretty disappointing. They played reasonably well in that game, but they again to to let that one slip away. The old any you know, lots of old Munster teams would never have allowed that to happen. Um, 
And yeah, they've had a, a run of a couple of good victories, but right now I, I wouldn't have huge expectations, certainly not on, on finishing with silverware this year, but I think that would never have been considered a likelihood at the start of the season if you know by the realists um, that it is going to be a two, three year learning curve, development of new players coming through, you know, some better overseas signings. Um, that's all important. When Munster have gone well, you got to remember their overseas signings have been exceptional. And right now, I don't know if that's not the case. I think mm. Fekatoa has been okay without being any way outstanding. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to to see you know where that next level of improvement is really going to jump to being very competitive with the better teams in the league and certainly in Europe. Uh, Dennis Leamy this week saying that the Malcolm Marks rumours it was a, a non-runner not going to happen. That the level they need to be looking at? Great signing. As soon as I saw that, I really thought, wow, that's the, exactly the sort of person that they could do with. Um, is is, is like that they, what Graham Roundtree... Do they need like Orgy Simon? Like, mm. It's so unfortunate. It really is. I'm not laughing at it. I just think... They've really been poxed with 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 him. He, like he had the potential to be a phenomenal signing, a catalyst for lots of great change within your environment. And to not have him for two full seasons is a massive kick in the teeth. Um, Malcolm Marks in there is it feels as though he's exactly what they need in a front row. Nobody horrible, you know, good operator, you know, get their mall back going again, get their line out operating well. Um, and then what those calibre players do is they bring the standards of everybody else up because when he comes into your side, you're like, oh, I, wa- I want to show him how good I, I am or how good I'm capable of being. So um, they, they do need one or two more big overseas signings because as much as some of that talent coming through showing potential, it's not going to be enough, you know, to to win at the very, very top level. Since you were last on, the news came through that Ben Healy is going to leave in the summer, sign for Edinburgh, going to play for Scotland. Uh, started the last night against the Lions, but it was his first start in the Pro 14 since Connacht at the start of, of October. Uh, somehow stumbled across uh, one of your appearances this time. Last year, you were on with Jair and you were talking about Ben Healy. And at the time, the conversation was like, is this guy somebody that is worth Andy Farrell taking the risk on as being the number three for Ireland? So we accepted Sexton Carberry, but is this guy ahead of everybody else? And while you were not fully committed, there was a definite feeling that the potential was there that he could put himself in the mix. How do we go from that just over a year ago to him never really getting an opportunity and you know, very much third choice in Munster and probably being forced into making a decision like this? I think he was probably given lots of opportunities and, 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 and it's not only Ben Healy's fault. I think the team that he was involved in, the platform that he was given wasn't always brilliant. I think we've seen some really great moments from Ben Healy and, and you would love to see him in a team with an armchair ride as to what he's capable of doing. There's no doubt he's a talented footballer, but I guess that that sometimes happens with you. Sometimes you don't get the break. Sometimes you don't, aren't, you, you don't take full advantage of the opportunities that arise and as a result someone else gets a chance or you get left out and someone if someone else is capable of shining as Crowley's managed to do well he's definitely be, made himself certainly number two and possibly number one in in Munster over the course of of the next year or two um and I can totally understand why Healy is going and doing it it does feel, it, since that conversation, and I don't want to rewrite history uh, around what I said, I think uh, since 
that conversation if it was a year ago, what we've seen of Healy, it does feel that he was never going to be a 40 or 50 cap international. Mm. Um, that probably played itself out a little bit. He, he definitely would have been an, an international. But, you know, from his decision-making point of view, is he more likely to accumulate more caps in Scotland right now with where the two teams are, with the age profile of Finn Russell, with where he is in the pecking order in Munster, let alone with Ireland. It does feel that way. And so I can totally understand that maybe he hasn't felt an awful lot of love from his province. And as a result, he's thinking, OK, I have a very good second viable option over here. and I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, that video over a year ago, you definitely weren't saying he was guaranteed to be the number three. Uh, it was more of a, I think at that time, he had put himself in a very good position if he could continue on that trajectory uh, that over the next year, but obviously it hasn't quite worked from. Gordon Darcy was on last night talking about a chance he had to go to Ulster uh, when it wasn't quite working out from at Leinster and basically was told, yeah, go there or stay here and fight for your place. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to stay here and fight for my place. And, uh, well, thankfully for everybody at Leinster, he did. For Healy... Well, Roger, Roger was on to me in 06 um, before they won Europe going, do you want to come down here? And I was like, what? Um, sorry, what now? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, talk, talk about this a bit more. <laughs> did, did I never say this now? Roger's on, say, kind of tentatively. He'll, he'll say, oh, I never properly, I was never properly asking. But he was, he was definitely hedging his bets a small bit and inquiring as to whether I might have had any interest at all. It was when we were in a, we were a bit of a basket case back in, in 05, 06, you know, four coaches in four years, Cheka came in, the squad that he inherited was all over the shop. Um, and, and did he, um, did he just ring you up or was this a conversation in no, Ireland camp? it was a conversation in camp and he, and he kind of threw it out there. It wasn't a formal, you know, I've got a contract here ready for you to sign, but it was like, would you, would you think about coming down? <laughs> you, he definitely was asked to inquire as to whether, right. you know, and, and they had fallen, they, they probably were short a little bit over the course of their time where they lost in semifinals and finals in the centre, but then they got it together with Rua Tapoki and, and Henderson in, um, in 06. But I think it was just prior to that. Um, I think that's when he when he inquired would I be interested in coming down and I said I wouldn't Ronan and I'm going to stay put or if I was I was thinking about moving at that stage I was definitely considering France as an option and then when Cheka came in and we got to the semi-final against them that year I thought okay if you can do that with a with an okay at best squad well what are we capable of doing if we pull it together you know over the next few years and that's why i stayed at leinster but i was i was never thinking of going down to Munster. Uh, was that a straight up i would never sign for Munster, or it was a hard no it was it, a hard no yeah yeah it was france or nowhere france or stay yeah, close. No, i was never i was never never going to go down there and and did you not pause for a second and dream of running out at Tolman park and the adulation to to, to not my people they you could know, have been your I, people they, it would have been no, your adopted home no, I, I they would have shown you love win the behind it and cup they would have shown you love no no I, I wouldn't have been able to I couldn't have no uh, did Raj just take the no okay was he uh, I, I it, because it wasn't a real like uh, very serious conversation okay. he just I, I, he, I think he just realised not to go again yeah how would you have coped if you'd gone down and suddenly you were the man in Munster? Suddenly you were the man walking down the streets in Cork and everyone's going, there's, there's Bod. Rogers yesterday's man. 
it's it's impossible to even consider that to be a viable option. So <laughs> let's not even go there. It's like it's like that Kanye West speech. People were asking what I was going to do if I didn't win this. I guess we'll never know. We, we, we will never know. <laughs> we can imagine though. Uh, we, we that that's definitely going to be a piece on the show on OTBM next week of what would have happened if Brian O'Driscoll had gone to Munster. How many? How I'm many interested to see what Raj says about it. Well, we absolutely. Whether, yeah, no. Who tapped them up? If there'll be full denial, wait, you see, there'll be full denial. No, I did not. Who else but was he ringing? I know. Who else was I he ringing? Know. Who else was he ringing? He's on tomorrow morning on OTAM, so we'll I find out. I can't imagine that it was he left it at me. You know, <laughs> I, I got, I'm, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that there's there's other viable options in in Ireland and further afield than just me to to plug into their system. Uh, just to wrap up, um, because we are talking about the glory days of the Heineken Cup there and. You were talking with Dominic McKay, the uh, head of the EPRC, about the Heineken Cup, and I think everyone's a bit confused as to what's going on. Firstly, that like it was such a perfect competition in the way it was run, and the final round of the group stages was as good as sporting drama, and even the fact that it's Northampton against Munster this weekend, you think back to Raj and the drop goal over 10 years ago, and it feels as though it's in all likelihood of next fortnight going to be set up for a complete lack of drama there'll be a fight for home games in the last 16 and that but any competition that has 24 teams going down to 16 I heard him say something that you know you need existing rugby fans to fully understand you need new rugby fans to fully understand I think an awful lot of people just think this is confusing I'll sort of zone out until we get to the last 16 quarter final stage well What's your feeling as to what's happened to competition over the last few years? And is this some necessary pain that we need to go through to get to a better place when the South well, African I, teams I, are fully integrated? Well, this was brought in for COVID, wasn't it? Mm. It, it was, it was, it's a, it's a, it's a COVID change because there was not, certainly nothing wrong with the, um, with, with the group stages previously. Some people will say, oh, there were dead, dead rubbers in, in rounds kind of four and five and yeah and that is inevitable in in any group stage where you're going to have some teams that capitulate because they lose the first two but because in reality you needed to win four of six group matches to qualify on one occasion um a team qualified with three so knowing that you had to win four meant you had to send out your best team you know six times whereas now you know, you look at last year's competition, Connacht qualified with one victory. Um, mm. Now, granted, they did, amazingly, they did have three try bonuses in losing games and and had um, three losing bonus points as well. So they did manage to get 10 points. But you can't have, you know, in four games, a team winning once and, and qualifying for a knockout competition Europe's top tier competition that just doesn't equate for me so I, I you know we spoke to Dominic on the uh, on Sunday um, on in, on BT and he was very open and, and honest about looking at all the different avenues you know, at, you know the incorporation of the South African teams have changed um, the dynamic of Europe an awful lot um, and so I, I think they realise that it's imperfect currently what was brought in for uh, for COVID, I, I don't think is a long long term fix. So I'm um, watch the space to see what comes of it. Uh, whether it's reduced numbers, 24 teams and 16 qualifying from 24. It, it, you know, it's it's it, it's not working at the moment, and it and it has been diluted a little bit, um, no doubt from from the the, the pomp days. Um, so hopefully they come up with a new strategy. 
in the coming years and, and I'm sure they will do because it's just lost a little bit of its prestige. Uh, we got live commentary of Gloucester Leinster on Saturday from one o'clock in the Champions Cup. Uh, I figured it out. Raj, Raj had something <laughs> in his contract that he had to match the highest earner in the club. He wanted you to come down on a higher contract and he'd get a little pay bump as well. Maybe. Genius. Maybe. Actually, he was in the same conversation. He was saying that he was going to be my agent and that he would do a decent seven and a half percent of my contract. I bet you would. If I could get it signed. There I bet you he would. So he's right. such a good friend. He's, he's all hard. Oh, he's, he's always thinking about you. Uh, Brian, great stuff as always. Uh, good to be back with you and we'll talk to you over the next couple of weeks. Cheers, Nathan. Talk to you. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll there. All our rugby coverage, as always, on Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Ronan O'Gara is going to be on OTBAM tomorrow morning from half past seven. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Oh.